0: If I had a, had my pick of the litter of topics to choose, I wouldn't think, oh, I'll preach on giving. That'll be a great one to really stir up the saints or whatever, you know, but um, the more I've thought about it the more I've um, just reflected on, on the scriptures and the texts, the more I've realized that it's, uh, it's a great topic for the gospel. It's a great topic for, it ties into so many things, you know, um, it ties into worship. I was just thinking about this text from, from Hebrews, I'll just read it. You don't have to turn there. But um, in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, it says, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So there's what we traditionally think about as worship, right? You know, actually praising him via, via song like we just did or just saying praise you, God, for whatever reasons, you know. But then he says... And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So giving is part of worship, isn't it? It's not just something we say to God, things we say to God, it's, it's what we do. It's how we respond to the gospel. As Chris said when he got up here, it's God, is, God is the one who gives most. He's the greatest giver, right? So it's our response to the gospel and how we, how we give. And when I say give, I mean... More than just give of our time—that's included, of course—but I mean give in every way, including financially, including materially, um, which is, has been our focus with this series. Um, but yeah, it's, it's part of it's part of our, our worship, not neglecting good, doing good, and sharing with such sacrifice as God is pleased. And last last week, a brother in here said, "Well, I know you've been going through giving." But if you could, like maybe you could work in a little you know, evangelistic focus. I may have somebody come here who's an unbeliever. And again, I was just thinking, it's the perfect topic for it, you know? I mean, again, back to what Chris said again. It's, you know, God. <laughs> we see that Jesus, though he was rich, became poor for our sake so that we can become, be, become rich. But also, how does, how does the world know that we are Jesus' disciples? What did Jesus say? It's by our love for one another. Well, it's not just telling one another we love one another, is it? I mean, we should do that, obviously, and I think we do that, but it's like the old DC talk said, love, the song said, love is a verb, you know, to be cheesy. I mean, it's, it's true, though. It's an it's a, it's a, it's a expression um, that we should be having, uh, something tangible, right, that we love one another, and we can sort of say, yeah, we love each other, and we know that because of this and that, because we invite each other over into our homes, because we care about when we're out of work or when we have certain needs that were medical needs that are not being met and we, we meet those needs or whatever it is. I mean, a myriad of things, right? But love is not just a, a word that we use as Christians. It's a thing we do all the time, right? It flows out of who we are in Christ because we've experienced the love of God. So I'm not going to apologize for preaching on giving because it's all about the gospel. <laughs> it's all about who we're supposed to be as Christians, right? Right? It's the gospel. So I will not apologize for giving, uh, for giving, for preaching on giving or giving, um, either one. So um, what, the way I structured um, this whole series was around five, five basic questions, and I'll just read those questions. I'm not gonna, going to go into any detail at all. Um, but the first question we looked at was, why should you give? And the second one we looked at was kind of two-fold questions, uh, or question In what manner should you give or what should be your attitude when you're giving? And thirdly was, to whom or for what should you give? And we're going to continue that this morning, uh, filling that out. Uh, Two more questions. How much should you give? That's what everybody wants to know, right? And how often should you give? So those are the, the five questions that I sort of use as my scaffolding for presenting the biblical data as best I can. And why don't we pray one more time and just uh, ask the Lord, I know I need the Lord to be with me. I'm tired this morning and a little scattered, and that's just how it is. You know, we're human beings. So why don't we pray that the Lord is is with us all this morning. Lord, uh, we praise your name as we just sang, Lord, in that song over and over again um, for so many reasons, Lord. Um, We praise you because you're the great creator of all, Lord. Um, That's reason enough um, that every creature... um, under the under heaven and under the earth and everywhere, Lord should should praise you, um, because you made us all and you're worthy of praise. You're the great sovereign Creator of all, the King of all, Lord. You are the one who's the ruler of the kings of the earth, Lord Jesus. You have the sovereignty over nations who are opposed to you in their um, godless attitudes uh, toward uh, those who are given they're given charge over, Lord, to the way they abuse abuse those under their care, Lord. You see that, Lord. You will. Reward them according to their evil deeds. Lord, you are the one who is the king, the ruler. Um, Lord, we praise you because you are ultimately our, our God. You've made yourself to be our, um, Lord, our Savior. And you've become our Savior through sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, it's not just a thing we say. It's, it's true. It's the reality that we are, are saved by the blood of the Lamb, that we have been brought near through the blood of Christ, and we have access to you. Uh, we are no longer distant relations, Lord. We are part of your very family um, through faith. And so, Lord, we we just honor you and praise you and ask that you would be with us this morning as we look at this topic and and finish it out and that we would just be moved to to exult in you that you have given so much to us and that it would be our joy to give in whatever ways we can, Lord, that we would be looking for um, more opportunity, making more opportunity to give, to contribute to um, our brothers here who have the charge over us, the rule over us, who teach us, Lord, to give to uh, meet pressing needs, to give for good works efforts, to give to missions um, for every good work, Lord, everything we do, Lord, whatever is under the banner of good, that we would want to do those things, Lord. Um, And so be seen as your disciples, Lord, that we act as your disciples. And so, Lord, be with me this morning. Give me clear speech and uh, just uh, ability to articulate and give uh, give these people in here, Lord, your, your word, Lord, straight from you to them, from your heart to them. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last, last week we spent the whole time pretty much focusing on just uh, what does the Bible have to say about giving to elders, giving to those who teach us the word, who have the rule over us, as the scriptures says. Um, and I won't go through all that again, but I hope I convinced you that that's, that's a biblical mandate, that it's something we're supposed to be doing. And it's, there are many good reasons for, for that, practically. And there are you know, um, ramifications for not giving. Um, so we want to continue to move more and more in that direction to, to free up our brothers, Chris and Steve, to be able to do their, I don't want to use the word job, because it's not even job. I mean, I hate the word call in a sense because it's so misused, but it is a call. The Lord has called them be shepherds over our body, and that's what it is. It's not just a nine-to-five job, so um, we want to mo- continue to move in that direction, and I know we all have one heart in that. Um, this morning, I want to continue on in that, that third point about to whom should we be giving and for what, um, and the next uh, point I want to make is that we should be giving to meet needs of Christians first and then non-Christians secondly. Um, so the first text we're going to look at, again, yet again, is Galatians chapter 6. So you can turn there to Galatians 6. <clears throat> now this, this is a text we looked at last week, um, focusing on what it has to say about um, sharing with those who teach us. The one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him, and I argue that those good things are, are not just words of encouragement though it certainly includes that, but it's monetary in nature. It's taking care of their needs so that they can uh, be freed up to teach us the word accurately, faithfully. It takes time. Um, And then Paul goes on. I'll just read down from verse six through verse 10. Um, Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Do not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity or while we have time, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So there is, the first point I want to make is that there is a priority in our giving. We're not just giving willy nilly, right? Um, God is, of course, always pleased when we give to something that's worthwhile, but there is a certain priority that we should adopt according to the Scriptures. And in the first place, it's, as this text starts out with in chapter, uh, in verse 6, rather, is sharing with the ones who teach us, who have the, the charge over us, who teach us the Word, right? There's so many ways you can be taught the Word these days through the Internet, right, and through a million other churches around here. But we all know we're here in this body, and our brothers here are teaching us the word faithfully and putting much labor into it, right? Toiling at it, I would say, uh, accurately. And so what is our responsibility to them? It's to share all good things with them, right? And that is a priority. And I think we all know this. It's just good to be reminded, of course, that you know, that, that, that is our responsibility. That's where the scriptures puts the, the charge to communicate or to share all good things With those who teach you specifically, right? Not just any teachers in general. You know, there are lots of teaching ministries out there, again, on the internet, and many of them are teaching sound doctrine, and they could certainly use your money well, of course, but that's not where the scriptures puts the priority in giving, is it? It's with those who teach you specifically, right? There was no internet in the first century, we know that. Um, There were lots of traveling teachers going around, but and of course, sometimes they did raise money for those traveling teachers, but the, the the basic pattern is give to those who have the charge over you and are teaching you, so that 's the first priority. But then more speaking more broadly, um, there 's a priority in the sense of giving to Christians first and then unbelievers secondly, right? Um, it is always brothers and sisters first. why What does the, what does the passage say here? It says In chapter uh, chapter six, verse ten, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So it's interesting. The reason that it grounds giving to Christians first is not because Christians are more worthy in some sense, or more human, or whatever. You know, we're just all people, of course, but because we're family, right? Who do you? I mean, if you have your child is you know uh, has some medical need, and the neighbor next door has the very same medical need, are you going to meet the, the neighbor's need and not your child's first? Are you going to see them as equal? Of course not, right? You're going to take care of your child first. Why? Because they're of your household, right? And the Bible says we are of the same household. We are family. We are of the same family. Therefore, we meet each other's needs because we are family, um, not to the exclusion of strangers, not to the exclusion of outsiders or unbelievers, but as a priority. Um, So even though Christians take priority, we're supposed to do good to all people, the passage says. Um, In this way, as, as I already said, we show the love of Christ to the world, right? It's a tangible way of expressing that we belong to the Lord Jesus because people see, hey, those Christians, they love one another, it's not just something they, t- they talk about. They don't just sing fluffy songs about love. There's something to it. There's something solid, you know? You can see, oh yeah, that, I saw this, this Christian. He gave this, this other Christian some, like a mattress. and uh, It was a brand new mattress. I don't know why he just gave it to him for free. I mean, he could have made some good money on it, but he did, right? Just because, I guess, they're Christians. That's what Christians do, right? That's the way it's supposed to be. Loving your neighbor as yourself is, you know, in the first place in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, it's, it's your fellow Israelite, right? But that's extended, isn't it, via the, the parable of the, the Good Samaritan. It's anyone who has need is your neighbor, not just fellow Israelites or fellow Christians, but anyone who has need is your neighbor. We're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves, the gospel is, is the power of God by itself, of course, brothers and sisters, but it is commended to men by our actions and lifestyle. So this giving that it's talking about is all couched in in the gospel, isn't it? It's the, it's the tangible expression of the gospel. And one way we can sort of you know, check our temperature, so to speak, as Christians, is to think about our giving. Are we, do, are we giving to other believers to meet their needs? Are we giving to everyone... Everyone that has needs, right? Are we, do we have concern? Do we have a heart of love toward, firstly, one another as Christians, and then secondly, to the world? A heart of love, right? Um, this was the practice of the early church as recorded in Acts. You can, if you want to, flip over to this passage, but Acts chapter 2, um, verses 43 through 46, if you want to turn there, short little passage here, but this fleshes out for us what is mentioned here in Galatians. This wasn't just mere talk, right? This is what it says. Every one of the believers in in, in Jerusalem kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, and they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. It's always rejuvenating to me to read those passages in Acts. You know, you, you kind of get thinking, okay, what should, what should we be doing as a church? What should it look like? What should the sort of the, the tenor, or the feel of our body, body life be like? Well, this is it right here, isn't it? It's a sense of mutuality, a sense of commonality, a sense that we share in this together. We share in the gospel together. We share in each other's lives together, that we are members one of another. We're not standing by ourselves on our own two feet, as it were. We stand together in this faith. Um, And as I said before a few weeks ago, alluding to this passage or reading this passage, whatever the case, this isn't communism or socialism, as has so many times been inaccurately argued from this text. This is voluntary sharing. This is not a coercive sharing. The believers, out of love for one another, did this, shared things in common, right? Nor is it they got rid of all their private property entirely because we, as we read through the book of Acts, we see that people continue to have houses that they met in, right? They didn't, they didn't sell off every single thing that they owned. The situation was, okay, this, this believer over here, we'll call him Jim, he has... A need. He has a medical need and he needs some medical te- attention and he doesn't have the money for it. But I have a field, an extra field. I can sell that field. I'm not using it for anything particularly right now. I don't need it. And even if I do need it, I, I have another. It's okay. I'll be fine. I'm going to sell off my field and I will use those proceeds, the money that I get from that field, to provide for Jim's medical needs, right? That's the kind of thing that's being talked about here, right? It's not communism, it's not socialism. It's not this, the state owns the means of production like socialism or the, you know, the abolishment of private property, which is what Karl Marx said communism was really all about at the end of the day, getting rid of private property. That's not what we're seeing here. There's private property. It's the way you regard your private property. It's private property for held for public good, so to speak, as needed, right, as occasion demands, It's not. It's not. Ultimately, this is my property just for me. It's I'm the steward over this property, right? I'm the one who has charge over this property to use it in whatever way is necessary, but ultimately for good, right? Right. Another passage, just very similar. You can flip over if you'd like to in Acts chapter four, verse thirty-two. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need." Another passage that can be very much abused, again, for socialistic or even communistic tendencies. But again, you don't see coercion there. It's voluntary. And though it says very starkly they regarded all things as common property to him and not even saying this is my own necessarily, this thing, whatever it was, be it a house or field or whatever. Um, They were willing to part with him as any had need. Now, it, it, that word need is, is is very crucial, isn't it? It's not as any had want. It's not, well, we need to have a quality of outcome in every way. You know, as I said before, my house is 2,300 square feet. That person's house is 3,000. I'm somehow getting shafted here. No, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about needs. <laughs> we're talking about a quality of need. What does it say? It said not any of them had need. There was not a needy person among them. And so that's how it should be among us here, right? In regards to need. We shouldn't care about, ultimately, whether you know, your house is bigger than mine or my house is bigger than yours or any of that. That's totally irrelevant. What matters is, are we meeting one another's needs here and then from there, outward, right? Uh, needs more broadly, which we are striving to do. But that, that's the point. You um, have to carefully define what needs are. And of course, needs, um, th- that takes some wisdom to figure out what is, what is a need? You know, some, we know that's it's food, shelter, clothing, we know those, but we live in a certain culture that is different from the first century, so some discussion can take place there. But at the bottom line is, it's whatever you need to survive in this context, right? To be productive in this context, to thrive in this context. And that's what we should be striving for in regard to one another. And last but not least, <laughs> hospitality is a way of doing good, isn't it? I mean, how many times over and over again does the New Testament talk about hospitality, right? Over and over again. Just one, one passage from Hebrews 13. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. You know, probably referring to Abraham You know, and the, and the three men there who are at his tent. He doesn't know who they are. He thinks they're just men, right? He doesn't know they're angels. He shows them hospitality. Oh, guess what? They're angels, <laughs> right and one of them is in some way that seems to be so closely associated with the lord himself that it is the lord himself oddly you know strange passage but abraham is there with these men showing hospitality and the writer of hebrews is saying don't neglect this right over and over again he's he's talking about neglect in hebrews that the the, the audience that he has in mind is they haven't turned wholesale away from the gospel they're slipping away from the gospel which is more dangerous in many ways, isn't it, right? To slip and slide away from the gospel because you, you get moved just gradually, gradually. You know, it's like a ship that is out at sea and you're not paying attention to where you're going and you just gradually just drift off course, right? Just drift. And that's what, that's what the writer is concerned to address. And one of those things that they were tempted to neglect, and of course we could be tempted to neglect, is showing hospitality especially to strangers, now, hospitality is enjoined you know, re- you know, across the board to everyone, but to strangers particularly in this context because people needed a place to stay often. And I mean needed a place to stay. You know, it's, if you have a, a Christian come in, or maybe just someone who's not a Christian, someone who's an unbeliever but just is in need and needs a place to stay, it wasn't always easy to find a place, to find an inn that could uh, you know, accommodate you, like Jesus when he was, or rather, Joseph and Mary. Um, when Jesus was born. Um, But hospitality was a big deal, Uh, and it's still a big deal. You know, it's one way that we share with one another. It's one way that we share the things we have with one another by opening our homes, by, you know, having fellowship in that way, sharing of the things we have. We don't want to neglect to show hospitality. So much more could be said, but I'll leave it at that under this heading. We're to be doing good, to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. That's always the priority in our giving with one another because we are family. We're of one another, members of one another. What's another place or way in which we should be giving, uh, something we should be giving to? Well, it's supporting good works efforts. Another little word or phrase that we see over and over and over again in the New Testament, right, about good works. And good works is a very broad term uh, that's variously applied but it certainly includes a financial component. Well, listen to this passage from 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Now, you know, this, this is again from in the context of, we've looked at this passage weeks gone by, but in the context of uh, collecting money, Paul's trying to collect money for the Jerusalem saints from the churches there in Achaia. And he's saying, hey, when you give, you don't need to worry about being provided for. God's gonna provide for you, right? And he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So when we have a heart to give and we do give, guess what God's gonna do with that heart? He's gonna give you more money so you can give again. That's all he's looking for. He's not short on resources. He's short on hearts a lot of times, unfortunately, right? He's short on someone who actually wants to do his will, who wants to give to meet pressing needs, or every good deed, as it says, uh, says here. So that you may have an abundance for every good deed. You know, James says that you, 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 you're asking and you don't have why. Because you want to spend it on your own pleasures, right? We can easily do that. It's so easy to do. You know, we've all done it, surely. And, we, and maybe not even intentionally, certainly, but we, we think we're asking with proper motives, but really it's we're wanting to spend it on ourselves. But that's something we have to ward against, isn't it? And guard against. Jesus says that we ought to be on guard against all greed and covetousness, right? As if the things of this life are really anything, right? We're, we're, we're seeking for that which is life Really, truly, indeed, right? And it's not made up of things he, in the here and now. God knows what we need, and he's going to provide for us. But he wants us to set our hearts and our minds on the things above where he is, knowing that he, he understands our plight. He understands our day-to-day needs of this life, and he's going to take care of us. Um, so good good works, efforts, good deeds. Um, I think this passage, the next passage we're going to look at, First Timothy 5, 9 through 10, sort of captures uh, the... I won't say the essence, but captures a a nice slice of what's going on here with this word or this phrase, good deeds. Um, 1 Timothy 5, as we looked at again last week, was, I think it was last week, yeah, uh, is a passage that talks about first giving to widows, then supporting elders, and then deals with slaves and masters. But in the context of talking about providing for widows who are widows indeed, this is the qualification, or these are the qualifications, I should say, Verse 75, verse 9, a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she, have, she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. Seems like the, the idea of good works there, having the reputation and then doing them, is sort of the, the bookends to this widow, right, her life. When you think about her, this widow who's worthy of support by the church, you think, this woman is a woman engaged in good deeds. And everybody knows it. She's known for going around doing these things, right? She's not someone who's just a busybody. She's not someone who's wasted her time and frittered away her time, you know? She's someone who's worthy of our, our support. She is someone who's a, a true saint, and what are the good works that she's, she's done? Well, I think some of these things listed are, are the good works. Hospitality of the strangers, washing the saints' feet, just generally assisting those in distress, which surely includes a financial component and, and otherwise, um, devoting herself to every good work. Well, we have certain good works efforts that we're engaged in as a body, don't we? What are some of them? Piedmont Women's Center, right? That's definitely a good work. Um, orphans in CAR, supporting them through Marie Helene, giving to educate children in Lebanon, supporting missionaries in Lebanon who are using their resources for good works there all the time as a way of getting the gospel out. These are all good works efforts that we as a body are have committed to, right? They're things that we've all, we, we all are in um, together. And the point I want to make here is that, on the, on the point of priority, is that there are many, many, many good things we could do on a you know, day-to-day basis. Good, good works, efforts, good, you know, good opportunities, or I should say opportunities for good works that arise in our day-to-day life. And those are all fine, right? But we do have certain commitments here that we've made as a body. And it's important that we meet those, right? It's, how important do you think it is that those orphans get money for all of their needs, right? In, in CAR. What about People at Women's Center, I mean, they're on the front lines right now, right? If there's ever a time when they needed support in every way, it is now, right? <laughs> um, what about, again, brothers and sisters, Dan is a man worthy of, our, worthy of our support, right? He's a man worthy of us to get behind as we have and even more, more and more as much as we can because what he's doing there is unbelievable, I can't, I can't believe how many good works efforts he's involved in. I say he, I know it's not just him, but he's sort of the spearhead, the impetus. But how many things they're doing over there. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? And this is a man and his family and all those believers there that we are supporting and can fully get behind. So I just, I just want to say this. When we think about our giving, I know many of you, most of you, have a heart to give. Let's make sure that we don't forget the priority of giving, right? To support Chris and Steve here, more and more we want to push in that direction to free up one and then both of them. And then of course the commitments we have to all these things I just mentioned. Those are commitments. They really are. Um, And then after we've met those things, by all means, let's give to everything else we can, right? But let's not neglect the things that we have already committed to and the priorities that are there um, from the scriptures, of course. Um, Next, from the same passage here, but But going back a bit, 1 Timothy uh, 5, looking at verse 3, we also give, another good reason to give, or we should be giving, is to support family members in need. Okay, so I'll just read chapter 5, verses uh, 5, I'm sorry, verses 3 through 8. Honor widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed, or truly, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. When I read this passage, I thought about this conversation I had with a former coworker of mine. His name was Victor, and I don't know how this came about, but we were just talking in the gym one day at work, and and uh, I said, Victor, uh, I think I just asked him, do you, Do you want to have kids someday? You know, he's not married, but I knew he had a girlfriend, and you know, maybe they would eventually get married or whatever. I said, Do you want to have kids one day? He said, very without any thought at all. Oh no, 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 I don't want to have kids. Well, why not? Well, you know, I just, the typical answer, I just want to, you know, be free. I want to travel, you know, and all that stuff, you know. Selfish answers, basically, right? I want to be able to do my own thing. I want to do me in the, in the terminology of our time, right? He didn't say that, but that's what he's getting at. He just wanted to do his thing, you know, he didn't want to be burdened by having children. And I asked him, I said, Victor, well, who's going to take care of you when you're older? Right? Who's going to take care of you? You have no children. And he said, Oh, no, you see, I'll, I'll, I'll save up money. I'll, I'll have more money because I didn't spend it on my kids and I'll be able to, you know, to, to provide for myself. You know, I won't, I won't need anyone. You know, I can hire caregivers if I need to and whatever. And you always think of what you wish you would have said like an hour later, right? And I didn't say this, but I wish I would have said, Victor, you can, you're right. You can certainly, if you save, if you plan appropriately financially and everything goes to plan, you can have money to pay for caregivers and that's true. But you can't pay for someone to care about you. You can pay for people to care for you, but not to care about you. And that's the difference, isn't it? You know? And children are supposed to both care about and then care for. Uh, children, sorry, I might parents. Children are supposed to care about and then care for their parents. That is the way it's supposed to go, Right? Honor your father and mother. There's that word again. And as I said last week, honor is not just a word that just sounds nice. It's not just think of highly or revere. It's take care of. It's take care of. It's provide for financially if needed. And that's what Paul is getting at here in this passage. He's saying, if there's a widow who's a Christian who has children or grandchildren and they're able to take care of this widow, it's their responsibility to, to practice piety, he says. Practice holiness in regard to their own family and make some return to their parents. See, kids, we are investing in you. Kid, uh, as parents, we're investing in you right now. <laughs> you don't realize that, but we are. We're investing in you. We're putting our time and our effort into keeping you alive, first of all, right? And then into try, trying to shape you into the people that you need to be. And as we get old and decrepit, which many of you think we already are, but we're going to get more old and more decrepit <laughs> decrepit. You're going to have to, well you ought to, be there to take care of us. That's just how it is. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's how it's supposed to be. There's a priority here, established. Um, so when Paul's talking about this about making a return, he uses very strong language, doesn't he, for anyone who doesn't do this, who has the means to provide for a widow? someone who's in a vulnerable position, and chooses not to do that, but then kind of pawns this person off to the church. He says, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty bad. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? Why can he say that? Because unbelievers took care of their own in that culture, right? This is what pagans did. Pagans took care of their own generally. They even understand you're not supposed to just let your own family members... You know waste away or you know have be in need paul's saying you 're worse than an unbeliever if you don 't take care of your own so from paul 's perspective it's inconceivable <clears throat> that a Christian would attempt to do this to pawn off his his own needy family member, in this case, a widow, when he or she has the ability to help financially, and a widow indeed is one who is with is either you know someone who doesn't have family members living or or you know just the family members are unable to support that person for whatever reasons, um, that is a widow indeed, someone who really doesn't have anyone to help them. Um, and then in that case, the church will take care of such a person. But that's not the go-to position. The go-to position is we take care of our own, right? We take care of those of our own household. So even before giving to the church, if you if you have, you know, it's it's inconceivable that you would, give to the church or give to Lebanon or give to any, anything else while your own family's needs go unmet, especially those of your own household, right? That's inconceivable. Right? We, this is where the first priority lies because if your own family's needs are not met, then that means you're in need. And then if you're giving off the money that you have, that shows that you really are not technically in need, you just aren't good with money and you don't have the right priorities in mind about the giving of that money, right? So it's really important that we get their priorities in order here, and I know none of you have this this issue. I'm just saying it generally as the the text says, right? That we understand that especially as our parents get older, um, this is on us to make sure that they're provided for. Now I know we live in a totally different culture, totally different context economically, and the the social structures that are in place are are totally different from the first century. So there'll be some nuance and and, qualifications and all that. But at the end of the day, it really is still on us, right? The onus is still on us to take care of our own, isn't it, right? Um, and just again, I want to say this, whether it's widows or in the case of our children, uh, when I say you know we must take care of our own before we gift anything else, take care of means meeting needs. It doesn't mean making sure your kid has all the latest you know video games or whatever that's not what we're talking about here you know i'm not saying that we should only meet the needs of our the needs the actual needs of our kids and then we can't meet any of their wants at all clearly i'm not saying that all right that's not what i'm after here but i am saying that there is a priority structure in place here right as far as how we give all right on to the 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 lovely question that everyone uh, wants you know i don't know everyone but people ask how much should you give how much right all right, you ready for it? You ready for the answer? I've been thinking about it for weeks now. Get ready, write it down. I don't have a number for you. Obviously, we all know this, most of us in here I think. There is no percentage or amount or, you know, any specific, you know, there's no tithe. We're going to talk about that more in a second, but there's no certain amount that the New Testament prescribes for giving. All right? What the New Testament does do it, well, let's just look at some text. Instead of me stating it, let's look at a few texts and just draw it out. 2 Corinthians 8, text we've looked at several times ever. We're going to look at it again. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 10 through 15. Paul says to the Corinthians, again, about this issue of raising money for the saints who are poor saints in Jerusalem. Paul's doing this fundraiser. Those in um, those in Achaia, which is where Corinth was, had already promised that they were going to give money. They'd already said, hey, yeah, well, sign us up. We're going to give money. And then their, their readiness to give had stirred up the church in Macedonia, which was much more impoverished, to give beyond their ability. I mean, he says, yeah, they gave from their ability and beyond their ability. And now Paul's coming back to the church in Corinth and, and via letter and saying, hey, hey, you know, Remember what you promised. (laughs) You promised to provide for these saints in Jerusalem, and he's trying to stir them up and remind them and just make sure that this this readiness that was present actually comes to fruition. It actually unfolds the way it should. So he says, uh, Paul says, I give my opinion in this matter, for this is for your advantage, who were the first um, to begin a year ago not only to do this, but also to desire to do it, meaning to raise money for these saints in Jerusalem. But now finish doing it also. So that just as there was the readiness to desire it, there may also, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, so that there may be equality as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, <clears throat> and he who gathered little had no lack. Okay, so what is Paul saying here? Well, he's saying, it's not like this. Some of, the, some of the Corinthians may have thought, well, Paul, I mean, we're doing better maybe than the churches in Jerusalem, but if we give like the Macedonians gave, then we're going to be in need ourselves. And He's like, okay, you know, that's, that's not what I'm after here, guys. It's not that if you imagine scales, and here, let's say here is the church at Corinth on this side, and here is the church uh, over here in Jerusalem, and they're, they're in need. It's not that he wants the scales to do this. <laughs> it doesn't want it to be like a seesaw effect where, okay, you're putting all the money here in the Jerusalem church, and then whoop, they're up now, and then the Corinthian church is down. That's not what we're after here. It's this. It's equality, right? So there, there may be equality of need, right? Not of wants again, but of need, meaning that people aren't hungry, people have clothing, people have their basic needs met, and they're able to live their lives, right? Um, and it's, it's interesting what he says here in Second Corinthians 8. He says, um, let's see, where he says that there may be equality. It's actually in the Greek, it's from or out of equality. It's not so much that he's saying that the result will be equality, although that's certainly true. It's, it's out of equality. It's almost like he's saying that the status is we're all equal before the Lord, right? We're, we're, we're of equal value and worth to the, to the Lord. We're all in the same field. We're in this to, playing field. We're all in this together. Now, out of that status of equality, let's, let's make the outcome match the status, so to speak, right? We're, we're there together in it with, the, with one another. Um, and he says, essentially, giving is to come from a surplus based on what is left over after our needs are met. Paul doesn't want us to outgive our paycheck, so to speak. You know? He doesn't want us to borrow money to give. Then we'll be people who are debtors. Right? Then we'll be people who are in need ourselves. And that's not the, the idea or the attitude that he has here. Um, we should not give to the extent that we are afflicted and become needy ourselves. That's not the goal. Now, he does say, you know, in, in 2 Corinthians 8 here that, that the, the church in Macedonia gave out of their affliction, you know. And that is true. That is true. But that's not, that's not the norm. It's not the norm. It's not the norm to put ourselves in a position where we are at need, or in need, I should say, and, and need to be recipients ourselves. Um, That that would not fix a problem. It's just a relocation of the problem, right? The goal, again, is balance. The goal is balance. Paul wants us to give generously but responsibly, given what we can give, the result being that needs are met and that no one is afflicted because they lack the necessities of life. Um, We saw that principle at work in Acts as well, right? That they were meeting all the needs that any saint, you know, had. Um, Another passage, if you want to flip over just a little bit to chapter nine of 2 Corinthians, verse six, Paul says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed as it is written. He scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Again, Paul doesn't throw out an amount. He doesn't give an amount that, you know, is sort of a, a flat fee or something like that, or a flat tax, You want? we might say. It's not like that. In the New Covenant, we operate from the level of the heart. We don't need... There, there are laws, there are rules, sure, but the heart is is what is our guiding principle in, in everything, including in giving, right? So Paul could say, "Yeah, give this percent or that percent," but that's not how, that's not how it works in the new covenant. You know, even in the old covenant, though they had the, the basic tithes to take care of the, the the Levites the priesthood, you know, they still gave even more than that. There were free will offerings. There were collections, of course, for constructing the tabernacle itself. So that they had an abundance when they were constructing the tabernacle in the wilderness. Um, I, you know, it's it's a little bit difficult in the Old Testament to determine how much did the average Israelite give. But some have estimated it's anywhere between twenty and thirty percent. Twenty two is kind of a a number that I saw someone had put out. You know, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at it in detail to figure it out exactly if it's possible to figure it out. But it was probably more probably more than ten percent. But the point is that it's about what you have purposed in your heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. If we're shaped by the gospel, brothers and sisters, and we have a desire to, for all the things we've looked at in this whole series, to meet those needs and those obligations for the sake of the gospel then we're going to give the way we should. We don't need to so much worry about the amount in a way. It's really worry about your heart. <laughs> it's get before the Lord and, and, real, and, and, and soak yourself in the word of God and the gospel. And out of that, out of that gospel saturation, you will be a giver <laughs> or you're not understanding the gospel rightly, right? Now we may need to have some conversations among ourselves in our accountability groups or whatever to try to figure out some details of life and, hey, what are you doing, brother or sister? Well, how are you, how are you cutting off this, you know, cutting corners here to save a little money or there? That's fine. That's all good. But the amount is not so, as important as our heart in the matter, right? If you have a heart to give, it's more like you're gonna be like the, the Macedonians. We don't have much money, but we're gonna push ourselves to the limit and beyond for the sake of giving because that's what the gospel does to people. What we need isn't rules and amounts, we need a heart. And that's what the gospel produces in every true Christian. And as 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, you can be the biggest giver in the world. Paul says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, and I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Nothing, right? Paul doesn't put giving as first above everything. He puts love there, right? because you can give and give and give and give and be a great philanthropist and go to hell. People do it every day, every day. It can profit you nothing, right? And we can fool ourselves, even as believers, in thinking that, yeah, we're, do- we're, we're giving, therefore we are, we are pleasing God when we hate our brothers and sisters. We're just doing it because we think we're, we're keeping some rule or something like that. So that's why I say, we have to have love in the first place. That has to be there. That has to be the peace in place at the foundation for giving, right? It's not enough just to talk about amounts and details and, and all that. We, we should talk about those things to some extent, but it's love that's the operative principle here, the guiding principle in our giving. Listen to Deuteronomy 15. This is just in the context of giving to the poor among the Israelites. Listen to the language. If there's a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns in which Um, I'm sorry, in any of your towns, in your land, which Yahweh your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him, and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart, saying, the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and your eye is hostile towards your poor brother. What he's talking about is, on the seventh year, there would be a cancellation of debts. For you know, the poor would be able to return to their land if they if they had, um, or if they had sold themselves into slavery, rather, they would be able to be set free. And on the seventieth year, they could return to their land. I think it was. But anyways, the point is, don't think, oh, you know, they're in need. I see that, but I'm just going to wait till the seventh year comes because we're almost there, and then that need will be taken care of. He's saying, no, no, no. That's closing your heart to your brother. Don't do that. Um, he says, Don't do that and your eye is hostile towards, hostile towards your poor brother and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to Yahweh against you, and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing Yahweh your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. Do you hear that language? It's heart, isn't it? It's heart language. Your brother, regard him, Right? Regard him. How do you regard him? You don't you're not hostile toward him. You're not closing your heart to him. You're you're not pulling your hand back from him, you're opening your heart, opening your hand to your poor brother. If the Israelites were to have a heart to give, particularly to those in need, like the passage talks about, how much more should we, who've experienced the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, be ready to give? Right? How can we not? We've experienced the ultimate, the pinnacle of grace. We've known that Jesus was rich and became poor for our sake so that we can become rich, we have become rich, and we will be ultimately rich on the day of the Lord, right? But if that's the case, then we have to open our hearts to our brothers and sisters and to all men for that matter. One more passage in in regard to um, how much to give, and this is not really adding very much, but it's just another text. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, again about this collection that Paul's, um, trying to make for the saints in Jerusalem, um, Paul tells the Corinthians, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save, as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. The statement's right in line with what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, nothing really different there, or new. The Corinthians were to give according to their means. The amount given and the regularity with which it was given probably fluctuated quite a bit more in their culture than in ours. You know, they when you read through the parables of Jesus, you often have you know, day laborers, right? People who would just day by day go look for work and, and they would do their day's work and then they would be paid for it, right? Fishermen, hey, you know what? Fish don't always bite every day, do they? So if you go out and you fish, like, like we see in the Gospels, and they're like, oh man, I've been out here for hours, I'm not catching any fish. Well, what are you gonna do when you go to market with no fish? You're not gonna get any money, that's for sure. So all I'm saying is that In in their context, the giving may have looked a bit different as far as the the amount they could give person to person and the regularity with which they were able to give. But the the point is that, nonetheless, every one of them was expected to give. It's not just the rich gave and the poor were kind of exempt from that, right? It's no. Anyone who had any kind of surplus and could give were expected to give, right? Isn't that what you see here? He doesn't set aside or he doesn't separate one uh, group of Corinthians from another. As a matter of fact, that's the very thing the Corinthian church was doing in you know, separating and having all these factions. No, Paul's saying, as one body in Christ, I want you all to come together and contribute to this need of the, of the churches in Jerusalem. No matter if you're rich or poor, if you have any ability to give, you should give. That's what he's encouraging. To sum up, the New Testament does not prescribe a certain amount to be given. How much you give should be determined by your ability, your willingness, and in response to needs that are there, right? Um, And it's all about the heart that we have for the Lord, really. That's what it's all about. It's all about the gospel. We give because we've received. Um, The last question is very pretty straightforward to address. How often should you give? Well, Um, You should give regularly, and you should give occasionally. What do I mean? I mean, there are certain things for which we have to have regular giving. I mean, Chris and Steve are constantly teaching us the word regularly, therefore they regularly need support, and that's what we're pushing toward more and more, right? Um, There are regular commitments that we've made to CAR, you know, to Lebanon, to PWC, and on and on. We have these regular commitments, right? But there will be occasional needs that come up, as we've done in the past, right, where something came up, there's this pressing need, and we've sent out a, you know, a message on the realm or an email or whatever, hey, hey, you know, we might need to tighten up our belts a little bit more if we can, and and try to squeeze out a little bit more money so we can, you know, provide for this pressing need. And we've done that. And oftentimes, it's way more than was even required, because you know what? God is the one who provides for us, ultimately, isn't he? You know? When you start thinking about it, you think about the resources you have. I did this last night. I just walked about around my house and I was thinking, I haven't used that in a long time. I could, I could sell that and I could give that money to something. You, know? you start really thinking about what you have and what it could be turned into. It gets you kind of excited really you know, to think about what needs you could be meeting. So anyways, there, there's regular giving and there's occasional giving. Now we could easily say, okay, well, what about this building? You know, we have this mortgage here. Well, let's just be real. You know, we've we've done the in the the church the house church thing before. It's not all it's cracked up to be. I know Steve's not here right now. He could tell you an earful about it. You know, it's uh, it's not a sustainable solution. I can tell you that. Um, it has its pluses, but for our needs as a body in this context, in this culture, in this place, we need a building. We need a place to meet. And I think we've seen over and over again that this building has been a blessing to us from the Lord. And we really have a great deal in, um, in this building itself, you know. Uh, what we paid for it and um, the, the refi we did recently, all this stuff. So um, this, is, this is our staging ground, you know, for this, this building is not the church. We're the church in the building. But it's our staging ground for the equipping of the saints to the works of service, right? That's, that's why we're here to worship the Lord and be equipped to go out into the world. So that's, that's another reason for regular giving, to support uh, our own, the, all the things we're doing in this very building that we're in right now. Um, let me wrap it up with a few concluding prayer points. And I'm sorry if it seemed a little scattered this morning, trying to pull it all together with a few, um, not loose ends, but a few other things we needed to discuss. There's way more that could be said, but I'm limiting <laughs> myself to these things. Concluding prayer points when it comes to giving. First of all, um, well, the first of all is we need to pray, pray about our own hearts, right? We need to get before the Lord and just be honest with the Lord and say, hey, Lord, you know, I've been covetous, if, if you have been, or I, you know, whatever. I, I've been greedy, same thing, greedy, covetous. I've been an idolater because that's what covetousness is. If that's you, repent. It's not complicated. It's not something you need to weep over day after day. Just be honest before the Lord. I've been covetous. Help me, Lord, Right? Tell your accountability group, I've been covetous. Help me. Keep me accountable, right? Um, So there's that. Um, But we need to also saturate our minds in the scriptures on the opportunities, the positive things that we can use our resources for for the sake of the Lord and his gospel. But a little bit more specifically, well, that's specific, but here's another thing. We need to pray for those looking for jobs. There's some people in here who are, out of, who are out of work or who are in a stage of transition where they're looking for a better job. Um, and, and we need to be in, pray for, in prayer for one another in that, that regard, because um, you know, we're not going to have money to give if we don't have jobs that provides us with the money, right? So we need to pray that we all are uh, in, you know, employed and gainfully employed as much, whatever that looks like, but um, productive people. Um, secondly, we need to pray for those who have jobs, like myself, please pray for me, that we will be productive and get our hours, unless you're salary, in which case, good for you, Dylan. Um, <coughs> but uh, I'm not salary, so pray for me, if you're thinking about somebody to pray for, that I can get my hours, and that as I get my hours and have a surplus, that, that will overflow to uh, all the things we've been you know, describing and discussing. Pray for one another to be recognized and rewarded for, uh, for your skill at work. So if you, you know, Proverbs says, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. There's a general principle that if you're doing a good job, you'll be recognized for it and promoted. Let's pray for that. Let's pray that we do a good job and that our, our employers recognize that, uh, those efforts and labors and that we're rewarded for it for the sake of the kingdom, right? Because that will issue forth and hopefully more, more money. Uh, and money is a good thing when it's used correctly. Pray that the Lord would add to our number. Um, we want to see Chris and Steve set free, both of them, full time in the ministry, unmuzzled, right? We want to see that. We have to pray that the Lord, uh, we should pray, uh, that the Lord would add to our number. And as he, He's already started doing that over the last couple of years, uh, particularly, and I uh, just want to continue to pray in that, in that direction. Three more things we need to pray that we'll all be generous and share as we started out with this morning from, from Hebrews, that's the, the general attitude of Christians is to be generous and share and show hospitality, that we would, and I already mentioned this, pray that we would put to death covetousness and greed and pray that we would be motivated by the glorious gospel in our giving. I can't think of any better text to end on than just this last little statement in 2 Corinthians 9. Paul starts, how does Paul start? He starts with the gospel in 2 Corinthians 8, when he says, "Now brethren, we wish, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, talking about their giving, that they've received grace from God, and now they have a gracious response to these, these um, Jerusalem Christians who are in need." But how does Paul end? What's the very last statement he makes? Chapter nine, verse 15. "Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift." It's the gospel. He ends with the gospel. Because giving is all about the gospel. I can't think of any better text to end on. So um, that's all I got, guys. That's, that's the series. That's, those are my thoughts. There are many more other, other things we could talk about, other applications. And let's talk about them. Let's talk about them in our, in our uh, accountability group and just among one another. But um, it's, all, it's all good stuff, you know, to, to have these, these uh, things in our minds because we are body of Christ. And the body of Christ looks like something. It's not just whatever. It looks like a body who is connected with one another and is then outward from that point. So I'll stop talking. Let's pray. And that's it. Lord, um, Father, we just, uh, thank you. Thank you for this, this last, this last statement that Paul made just captures everything. We praise you, Father, for your indescribable gift. Um, Lord it really, your son really isn't he is an indescribable gift to us because we, uh, we don't deserve to be put right before you, Lord. It is a gift. We are righteous by, righteous by faith, and that faith is a gift from you. And so Lord, we just praise you, we, we lift up your name, we exalt you as our Savior, as the one who is freely given, Lord, and we have freely received. Uh, Lord, we don't uh, we don't earn anything with you, Lord. Um, you are the ultimate giver, and Lord, I pray that that would always be in the in the forefront of our minds when we think about giving. That guilt wouldn't be the first place we go in our hearts, Lord. If we if we are covetous in any way, Lord, we, we do need to repent. We want to be honest with you, but Lord, I do pray that we would have that positive motiva- motivation of the gospel, Lord. That um, we would see you, Lord Jesus, um, dying on that cross in our minds, and just think. Uh, of all that you gave for us so that we can be reconciled to you. And so, Lord, uh, yeah, just form us into the people you want us to be. Continue to work in us. Lord, I thank you for this body, that they, um, they love you, that, Lord, that we um, have a heart to, um, to obey your word, Lord, to not just be hearers, but we want to be doers of your word. And, Lord, I pray that we would uh, be that more and more. And I thank you for all the grace that you've already worked in us. And just pray that it will be um, increasing day by day, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.